Oh, nothing like that song to make, make me feel completely unworthy to stand up here. Oh, holy, holy, holy. Perfect holiness. What a privilege it is to be here gathered together as the body. And just listening to the voices, how beautiful that was. And then to think that one day all the voices will be singing that chorus. I mean, the millions and millions from every tribe, tongue, and language who will be singing holy, holy, holy. I cannot, I cannot wait for heaven. I am so jealous of Hutch. I'm so jealous of my grandfather. I'm so jealous of the loved ones who in the past year have gotten to go to heaven already. I cannot wait. Ah, I should probably say something now. Um, oh, it's such a good song. So we're going to resume. We're going to resume looking at Jesus's ministry. We're going to resume looking at the life of Jesus. We took the kind of two-week hiatus. Not really a hiatus. It's a continuation of Jesus's ministry. As we got to hear from missionaries from around the world. Two weeks ago, we got to hear from the Schaefers, from Don Schaefer, about his missions in Japan. Last week, we got to hear from Jim and April about their missions in Haiti. And it actually works perfectly with where we resume in Jesus's life, looking at the ministry of Christ as we consider mission work and, and doing the work of missions in this world. Um, a recap, since it's been a few weeks since we looked at Jesus's life in, in the timeline, when we last looked at the life of Christ, we were looking at him returning to Capernaum, right? He went to Galilee, and the people in Galilee weren't interested in him as a savior. They just wanted the signs and wonders. Jesus called him out for this immaturity, for this stunted thinking. And he went back to Capernaum. We looked at when he was casting out demons. We talked about how even the demons have to recognize Jesus' authority, right? Is that tracking? People are okay. So that's where we were right before this. So keep that in mind, that Jesus has left Galilee. He's gone back to Capernaum where things are good. He's in an area where the people, they want to know him for him. They want to know him as Savior. They're not just interested in treating G Jesus like a genie who can do tricks for him. The people of Capernaum get it. And that's where Jesus finds himself as we begin. And we'll be looking at Jesus' life and how he models for us a life of kingdom impact. I mean, Jesus' ministry is the model of a life that is advancing God's kingdom, a desire that should be a burden on all of our hearts. And we're going to look at some verses. I'll be honest. I, you, I won't ask you guys to be honest. Just think of this in yourself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything. We're going to look at some verses that it's tempting for me to sometimes skip over because they're short. They're, it, it's two verse chunks and it's Jesus went here and he did this. You're like, yeah, yeah, I want to get to the good stuff, right? Like, okay, I want to get from the woman at the well to the raising of the dead. I, I want to get kind of, to use an a airplane term, right, the flyover states. We're going to look at those today because these are verses that God has to remind me, no, 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 they're there for a reason. There's meat to them. There's importance to them. Slow down. It may seem like two short verses. It may seem like three short verses, but there's a purpose. So we're going to look at, it's the same incident in Matthew's account, Mark's account, and Luke's account. And we're going to look at three things that Jesus models for us as a life designed for kingdom impact and advancing God's kingdom. But before we begin, please join me in prayer. God, you are holy, holy, holy. 
And it is a blessing and a privilege and an honor to gather together with your body and to lift our voices to you. And as we continue to worship now, please let this be a time of worship. Let this be for your glory. Let this be through you. Let these be your words, God. We don't want to ever make it about us. We want it to always be about magnifying your name. So help us understand. Forgive me for when I I fly through these small little bites. Teach me to be patient. Teach me to slow down and give your word the time it deserves. Even these in-between details. So please help us understand. We want to know you more. We want to know you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first we've got, we've got Matthew 4, 23 to 25. And he went through, he being Jesus, and in all of these verses, since it's beginning or it's picking up kind of in the middle of his interaction with Capernaum, he will be Jesus. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And then you have Mark's account. This is Mark 1, 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then finally you have Luke's account in Luke 4, 42-44. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So again, right? I will admit that sometimes I skip over those little two-verse, three-verse transitions that seem like. But in reading them and studying them and looking at this as we come out of two weeks emphasizing missions, looking at what Jesus modeled for us, this is such a clear demonstration of what a life looks like that is driven by the desire to submit to God and advance his kingdom. And we see three things. We see three things that must be true of a life that advances God's kingdom. And the first thing we see as we look through this is what was Jesus preaching It's entirely about the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is entirely about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we talk about this, as we talk about things that are required, make no mistake, they're required on two levels. They are required of you individually. Everything we talk about this morning is a burden on my heart that these are statements that would be true of each and every one of us individually. These are not requirements reserved for pastors. These are not requirements reserved for elders. You are not off the hook this morning if you are not an elder or on staff here. These are requirements that must be true of us at an individual level. These are also requirements that must be true of us at a corporate level. Our church as a whole, our ministry as a whole, what we do needs to be defined by these three truths that we see Jesus model for us, okay? 
So as we listen to this, think of yourself individually and think of yourself as part of this body as we consider what Jesus demonstrated. And the first thing he demonstrated is that life must be defined by, driven by, shaped by, devoted to the gospel of the kingdom of God. There is no other gospel. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus preached in every conversation, in every interaction. As we've looked at Jesus' life, hopefully you can recall past sermons, and we've demonstrated that Jesus was never content with the surface level. Jesus was never content with the shallow end of the pool. Every conversation he had, he redirected it to go deeper. Every question that he was asked, he answered it to go deeper. He was constantly reorienting people to the kingdom of God. And this is something that is a very slippery and dangerous and unfortunate slope for so much of the American church and the American Christian. Because there are so many alternatives out there. And this is not a new problem. This idea of the church, of the Christian, interacting with the gospel of the kingdom of God is something that's been going on since the church really started. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4. This is Paul writing. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul is gravely concerned that the church has no problem accepting a gospel other than the one they received. Paul is deeply bothered by the fact that the church readily accepts a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is not unique to the church in Corinth. This is Galatians 1, 6-9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one. Make no mistake, there is one gospel. So as we talk about these alternative gospels, they are not the true gospel. But Paul is addressing this problem in the church, a problem I still believe is pervasive today. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we, as we have said before, so now I say again, just in case you didn't get it the first time, Paul's like, I'm going to hammer this point. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is not a trivial issue. This is not something that we can kind of dismiss and put to the side. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at false teachers, when we looked at demons are able to say true things, but that doesn't mean they should be listened to. And I said, you don't, we don't get to say, well, 99% is good, so we'll just push aside that 1% that they're wrong about. No. Paul says, let them be accursed. And what is the gospel that he's talking about? This good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of the Lord. 1 Peter 1.25 But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news gospel that was preached to you. The word of the Lord remains forever, and this is the good news that was preached to you. 
Jesus was preaching a gospel of sin and repentance and grace and mercy and salvation. We cannot allow the church today to distort that. If someone comes to you and they want to preach a gospel, if you're listening to a preacher on TV, if you're listening to a podcast, if you're reading a book, and they are presenting a gospel to you without the power of the Holy Spirit, that is not the gospel. Let them be accursed. If they are preaching, if they are saying, if they're singing, if they're writing about a gospel that does not include God's righteous anger and God's holy justice in sending people to hell, that is not the gospel. Let them be accursed. This is not a buffet. God's word is not a pick and choose. It's not a build your own story. It's not a pick your own adventure. I don't get to turn to page 400 and say, okay, do I go to page 83? Or You know what? I like that. We'll go that way and we'll skip this chunk. That's not how this works. It's not a buffet table. I don't get to load up on the stuff that makes me feel good and ignore the stuff that makes me uncomfortable. That's not the gospel. Let them be accursed. And Paul wrote to the church, I am bothered by how readily you accept the gospel other than the one you received. If Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, then a life that impacts this world must be driven by the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so what that means for us corporately is pretty apparent. We need to preach this gospel from our pulpit. We need to teach this gospel in our classes. We need to teach this gospel to our youth group. We need to teach it in our small groups. Individually, parents, you better be teaching this to your children. You better be modeling this in your own life. We do not come to the gospel and it conforms to our own preconceived notions. Our lives must conform to the gospel, whatever that means for us. If there's a political preference I have, if there's a social preference I have, if there's a relational preference I have, if there's a sports preference, whatever I have as a preference, this does not conform to. I conform to this. My life adjusts to this, not the other way around. We don't get to pick and choose the parts we like that make us feel good and allow us to continue in our behavior. That is not the gospel. Jesus' ministry was defined by preaching the gospel. So a life today that is going to have impact for the kingdom of God must be defined by the gospel. It must be driven by the gospel. It must be shaped by the gospel. It must be saturated with the gospel. I cannot emphasize this enough. Please be people who know God's word. Please. It is not enough. I don't get to say to the Lord, yeah, well, I was good friends with Mike, and man, Mike really knew the gospel. Mike knew what it was about. God's not going to say, okay, good, you were friends with people who knew God's word. That's, That's what I wanted for you. Please. If Jesus' life and ministry was defined by presenting the gospel of the kingdom of God, please let your life be defined by the gospel of the kingdom of God and presenting it. The second thing we see that Jesus models for us in these short passages is an internal intimacy with God. Right? We talked about he was in Galilee, things weren't good. He goes back to Capernaum where things are great. I mean, if you want to talk about a place to stay and be comfortable, you're talking about Capernaum. 
His ministry is thriving. The crowds are coming out to see him. Everything is good about Capernaum. The people get it. They don't want the signs and wonders. They want the Messiah. They want the Savior. There is every reason in the human mind to stay in Capernaum with the people who love him and get it. And how does Jesus respond? He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And this is not a solitary event in Jesus' life. Matthew 14, 23, all of these passages that we're going to read come from different points in Jesus' ministry. Matthew 14, 23, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. It's the same account in Mark 6, 46. Luke 5, 15 and 16, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6.12, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. What was the last thing Jesus did before being led away by the soldiers for his ultimate death? He went alone to pray and to be with God. You can nod your heads all you want at, yeah, the, our lives, we must preach the gospel. If your life is not marked by an internal intimacy with God, you are going to burn out. If your life is not defined by an internal intimacy with God, it doesn't matter what you nod your head to. You can't sustain this life without that personal relationship and connection to God. What does Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' ministry modeled a dependency on God, an internal connection with God. He left the crowds who loved Him. He left the people who wanted to hear Him preach to go be alone with God and pray. It was a priority to Jesus. It was important to Jesus. It must be true of our lives today. Think about it. Who's been on an airplane? This is an easy question. Airplane. There we go. That was good participation. Right? What do they say in the safety run-through? If the oxygen masks fall down, those of you traveling with small children, put your own mask on first and then assist your children. Why? All right, I'm traveling with four kids. I might be able to get the oxygen mask on two of them. But if I pass out because I'm not getting any oxygen, I'm not going to be able to help the kids. Christians, if you are not plugged into God, if your internal intimacy with God, with Jesus, if that relationship is not marking your life, you are going to burn out. Well, I haven't done so yet. I mean, I'm busy. So my time with God, you know, I'm also trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be a good employee. My time with God is the first thing that gets cut. But I'm, I'm doing well for now. Okay, you might be doing well for now. But the wall's coming. The crash is coming. The burnout is coming. This life is impossible to sustain apart from intimacy with God, from relationship with God. Men, you want to be a better husband? Pursue God's heart deeper. Wives, you want to be better wives? Pursue God's heart deeper. I promise you that our marriage has benefited most when we have made God our top priority. Our marriage has been blessed most when I have placed God before Adeline and when she has placed God before me. That is when we are at our healthiest and our best. You want to be better parents? God needs to be your priority. 
You want to be better employees? God needs to be your priority. You want to be better friends? God needs to be your priority. Internal intimacy with the Lord must shape who we are. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. And the third thing we see when we look at this model of a life that advances God's kingdom, model of a life that has impact for the glory of God, we see an external focus on God's work. Jesus could not be distracted. We've talked about this at numerous times looking at Jesus' life. When people came to him with this question and he gave them this answer, people wanted to talk about this, Jesus talked about this. You could not distract Jesus from glorifying God. That was his focus. That was his bent. That was his drive. That was what sustained him, fueled him, motivated him. It defined what he did. We just talked about how good Capernaum was, how great things were. So what is his response to how great and how easy things are? Everything is going well. And what is Jesus' response? The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. You couldn't distract him. Everything was great. The crowds were like, are you kidding me? We get it. We love you. Stay here. This is awesome. And Jesus says, no. Those people need to hear. Those people need you. I was sent for this purpose. I love that you guys get it over here. I love it. But I can't ignore these people. I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. I was sent for this very reason. Don't try and distract me from it. Right? When Jesus is talking to his apostles, he's talking to Peter. And we always hold up when, when Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand up against it, which has to be the greatest compliment given in the history of the world. You know what the very next thing Jesus says to Peter is? Because Peter says, Lord, stay up here and don't go back. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter goes from you are the rock that I'll build my church on to get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter's focus shifted from glorifying God's kingdom. Peter's focus shifted from advancing God's kingdom. And Jesus wants nothing to do with that. Jesus will not be distracted from the mission of God's kingdom advancement. The same must be true of our lives. I know there are going to be periods of distraction. I'm not saying your life is going to be free from distraction. I'm saying that's going to be the norm. We have to fight against it. We have to be focused on God's kingdom at the expense of all else for the purpose of everything, to advance His name, to make His name known, to see the nations know God. This is what Jesus models for us in these verses. And we have the privilege of belonging to a movement. It's not even really a denomination or just a structural organization. The Christian Missionary Alliance is a movement designed to advance God's kingdom. And I think we always, I think we have opportunity to make sure that you all understand what a privilege this is to belong to this family, right? We just got out of missions. We, we had Don Schaefer, Japan. We had Jim and April in, in Haiti. I want you to understand, the leadership, we want you to understand that this is the organization we belong to. This is not something that is just we're on our own trying to fight against the tide on our own. This is a body that we belong to. And so we have a video. There's a video that President Stumbo, he's the current head of the Alliance, 
and they put it out earlier this year. And what's neat about this video is it's not just one talk. President Stumbo gives multiple kind of video, Esther, what would you call them, devotionals, talks, updates? Sure, she's nodding at all of those. So I said one word that was right. President Stumbo puts out videos regularly, and he's been doing this for years. So this year, they went back, and they cut together all of these videos, I mean, hundreds of videos, so that you can see that this is the heartbeat of the Alliance. Please understand that this must be the heartbeat of us as individuals and us as a body to see God's kingdom advance. So with these lessons modeled for us by Christ, let's watch this video from President Stumbo so you can see that this has been the heartbeat for a long time and should continue to be moving forward. Luke, if you want to run that. Okay, team, here we go. Video blog number one, a new journey begins. I'm John Stumbo, seven weeks ago in Tampa, Florida. I was elected as the next president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I'm hoping to have a conversation with you uh, where we begin to mobilize the U.S. Alliance churches together as one. I have this significant sense that uh, I'm not qualified. <laughs> but I have this sense that it's, it's my turn. It's my turn to lead. But I also have this sense that it's not just my turn to lead, it's your turn. I have a service to perform. I have a people to lead. I have an enemy to rebuke, a gospel to proclaim, a task to accomplish, a world to love. And so do you, my friend, so do you. When you think of vision, one thing that you're simply asking is, does anybody care anymore? Are we still passionate about this thing called reaching the lost? Are we still passionate about the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory? Are, does anybody care? And I wanna to say to you, the answer is yes. I care, many of you care deeply, and together we are going to work through who it is that God is calling us to be as we live out the calling and heritage that's been placed upon us. God has raised up the Christian Missionary Alliance to be one of the key players that he is using in this world to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every segment of human society because his eternal plan is that there will be representatives in heaven from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. The resurrected Christ Church is too holy, too loved, too significant to be lamely led by faithless leaders performing religious duties in some stale, perfunctory manner. You didn't call me to this to just go through some religious routines and then slap the name of Jesus over the top of it. You called me to a high and holy calling and God, would you stir in me a holy zeal, a reflection of your heart for your bride. From your churches, people are loved. Prayers are prayed. Worship of the almighty God is heartfelt. 
The Word of God is declared. Holy marriages are formed and defended. Widows are supported. Missionaries are raised up, sent out, and supported. Souls are rescued from Satan's clutch and baptized into the powerful name of Jesus. What we are doing is no small thing. It's of eternal significance. Together, we have one chance at this thing called making use of our life to serve the Lord who called us. That This has given me a sense, a greater sense of purpose, of destiny, of, of urgency. The lostness of man alone, if that's all that's beating in our heart, that's not sustainable. None of us can minister long-term under that kind of weight. In a loving, joyful, life-giving kind of way, that's sustainable. Love is sustainable. Burden alone is not. We really don't need smaller problems. We need a bigger view of God. A God who looks into every believer's heart and says, I am making you more than you are in and of yourself. Our God is, is able to increase our capacity. Our God is able to make us more than we are or allow us to rise to moments that we never expected we'd be in. There's a much bigger story being written here. The plan that he has, very interwoven. You're part of that plan. You're a sweet, you have a sweet contribution to make to that plan. We live in a world of beauty, Christ follower. Not just the beauty of creation, as powerful as that is, but a beauty that is interwoven into every fabric of our lives, if we have eyes to see. We need to feel with those who, even if we weren't part of the community that's been unjustly treated, to feel some of that injustice, to, to mourn with those who mourn. Isn't this one of the greatest beauties of Jesus himself, that he had complete power under complete control. He never operated out of fear. He never operated in a manner that was self-serving. He came to, to bring justice and freedom and equality and life. There's a stirring happening in my heart. I'm believing, I'm expectant that God will be at work as we gather because he is already at work in our planning. He is already at work in your local churches. God has raised us up to be on the front edge of what he is doing in this world. Yes, it takes perseverance. Yes, it takes sacrifice, a willingness to do the hard thing over a long period of time. But this is who we are. If we have not love, we have nothing. We've accomplished nothing. If alliance pulpits, lose the authority of God's word, we've lost the heart of this movement. Those walls enclosing our church building are to keep us warm in the winter, not isolated from society. This is very personal to me, that the alliance that I pass on to the next generation, I want it to be a movement that just throbs with passion for this world. As a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family, I believe God is calling us together to love, proclaim, reach people of all ages, people lacking access, people on the move, and launch. Launching people, 
dreams, resources. It matters that we get this right. Know that your identity comes because of who your master is. Know that your value comes because of how much you are loved by him and that your work increasingly become an expression of the work of God in your own heart. For six years now, I've been traveling, operating under the leadership philosophy that a desk is a poor place from which to lead a denomination. Lord, would you help me that if fear is the only thing stopping me, may it never win again. Fear has the power to make us smaller people where we resist change. Fear has the ability to make us less loving, narrower, less able to take risks, stuck kind of people. You see, whenever we act out of fear, we're going to do things that are smaller, lesser. Please don't see all the fruit of your labors as single generational, one generation of impact. No, 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 no. The fruit often is multi-generational going on and on and on. I'm here testifying that the fruit is sweet and beautiful and ongoing. In fact, in some ways, I believe the story is just beginning to be written. I want to feel more. I want to experience more. I want to understand more this generation. And I want to be the kind of leader who makes a way for them. Church leader, would we be the kind of leaders that are giving opportunity for the next generation to be fully engaged in the church? May we be the kind of leaders that open doors, that see potential, that create opportunities. We really are better together. I know I say that phrase a lot, we're better together, but in this moment, I want to acknowledge that we're better when our cultures mix more. You don't know where your story humanly is leading on this earth. But if only we knew that the king is still on his throne, that the author is still writing a good story in our lives, even though there might be some dark chapter right now. If only we knew of what awaits for us in heaven, how the fabric of all of these threads, of all of these confusing and sometimes delightful stories all weave together, if only we knew. And I wept as I stood there trying to imagine what it would be like to have thousands of languages simultaneously sung, not in some discordant, awkward manner, but in a way that the fabric of all humanity being woven together by thousands of threads of languages provided a tapestry of sound unimaginable, unheard in any time in human history. <laughs> and so we stand before the throne of God and all sing praises to Jesus together. Friends, we're part of something big. We're part of something significant. This gospel of Jesus Christ transcends any culture, any generation, any language. Something has to keep beating in our hearts because it beats in the heart of Christ. 
And if we've lost our passion, don't try to regain it. Don't try to stir it back up. Don't guilt yourself. No, 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 no. Just keep coming back to Jesus. Let him restore the passion who looked upon the crowd and was moved with compassion because he saw them for who they were. When we all come together, the enemy trembles, the word of God goes forward, the kingdom advances, and it's a story we all get to own. Every role within the body of Christ is essential, and some get a microphone more than others, but nobody gets access to God more than others. We're the people of God with a different spirit that the world can't ever concoct or create. Jesus said, go and do likewise. <laughs> May we be the people who not only observe, but are moved with compassion, respond in some manner that is appropriate. May we become master artists at weaving the grace and truth tapestry together. Both strands are needed to be strong and continuously interwoven. On our shores, we plant more churches. <laughs> and we reach more immigrants, and we reach more generations advancing the name of Jesus. From our neighborhoods to the nations, and the nations that have come to our neighborhoods. And I've been with a lot of those people just in these last few hours. Will we invest our lives in that which outlives us? Will we give ourselves to those things that it doesn't matter if we're around or not? And so I ask us, let's do this well, because this matters. There's so much to point out, but I want to point out a couple lines from what he said. Jesus modeled that the entire focus must be on the gospel of the kingdom of God. President Stumbo said, if our pulpits lose the authority of God's word, we have lost the heart of this movement. The gospel of Jesus Christ transcends any culture, any generation, any language. Make no mistake, you have what people need. What's holding you back from sharing it? If you had the cure for cancer in your pocket, you would beat down every door of every hospital until somebody listened to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ transcends everything. This gospel must define who you are. Jesus modeled internal intimacy with God. I love his simple prayer. God, would you stir in me a holy zeal, a reflection of your heart for your bride? Church, can you honestly describe yourself as zealous? If you looked at your life, would someone be able to say that person has a holy zeal for the church of God? Consider that. And he also said, make no mistake, none of you here are insignificant. He said, every role within the body of Christ is essential. Some get a microphone more than others, but nobody gets access to God more than others. This isn't Disney. I don't have a VIP pass. I don't get access to God an hour before you guys do. Well, you wait at the gates. 
Mike as an elder, Joe as an elder. They don't have some sort of special hotline that goes directly to God while you guys get put on hold. Yeah, we might get more stage time than you, but we don't have access to God more than you do. We don't have access to a different God than you do. You are significant. For God's church to function as He intends it, it requires all of us. We are a body meant to work together. You are in places I am not. You are in places they are not. So if we don't take that seriously, then that's an entire area that we're not reaching because one individual thought it's not up to me. It requires all of us. We are all significant in this mission to advance God's kingdom. And lastly, Jesus modeled for us external focus on God's work. He could not be distracted. Stumbo said, I have a gospel to proclaim, a task to accomplish, a world to love, and so do you. Again, you are in the neighborhood you are, you are in the job you are, you have the friends you do because I don't. If you are relying on me to do everything, there are way more of you, which means there are way more relationships that you have that I do not. Make no mistake, I will do my part. I expect Mike to do his part. I expect Esther to do her part. I expect all of you to do your part. You have a task to accomplish, a gospel to proclaim, a world to love. Church, we need to wake up to this. And then finally, towards the end of the video, Stumbo asked a question that, quite frankly, I hope it haunts you for the rest of your... Not haunts, that's a, that's a bad choice of word. He asked a question that I hope, I hope is like a song that gets stuck in your head for the rest of your life. I hope this question never leaves your mind. He asked, will we invest our lives in that which outlives us? As for decades, we have allowed the church to invest in itself. And make no mistake, we're called to support one another. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to build one another up. Make no mistake, we should be investing in each other. But we should also be investing, I mean, everything in advancing the kingdom of God, because that will outlive us. I could build a house with my bare hands, and if you've ever seen pictures of the Olympic parks 10 years later after everybody's gone, nature wins. What we physically construct will not outlive us. I could earn every dollar on this planet, and eventually I'll die and won't be able to spend it, or I will spend it and it goes away. That won't outlive me. The gospel will. The gospel transcends. Will we invest our lives in that which outlives us? So this week, if you want to throw up that very last slide, this week let's all read Romans 10, 1 through 15. Every day this week, Romans 10, 1 through 15. And as you read it, consider these three statements that we talked about that Jesus models for us. We don't have a closing song this morning. Instead, we're going to take some quiet time to pray. And if you're unsure if this is still a little uncomfortable for you when we take this quiet time to pray, maybe this morning you need to go before God and you need to say, God, you know what? The gospel doesn't define my life. It's a part of it. But there are, there are portions that I don't like. 
so I don't pay attention to. Lord, would you teach me what it means to truly live a life defined and shaped and driven by the gospel? Maybe that needs to be your prayer this morning. Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, teach me what internal intimacy with you looks like. I confess that when my schedule gets too busy, you're the first one to suffer. I admit that your time is the first time that I give up if I have to. So Lord, would you burden my heart with a desire to know you more and to know you better? Maybe that needs to be your prayer this morning. Or maybe your prayer needs to be the third point that Jesus modeled, an external focus on God's work. Yeah, I believe in the gospel. I submit to it. I feel like my relationship with God is the best it's ever been. And it stays in its own little compartment. I have my job. I have my family. I have my Sunday morning church. And I have my hobbies. Maybe your prayer this morning needs to be, God, teach me what it would look like for the gospel to pervade my life in such a way that everything I do, whether I'm at my job, whether I'm in my neighborhood, whether I'm at the community pool, teach me what it looks like to where my life is entirely focused on your work. Maybe that needs to be your prayer this morning. I don't know where you personally are, but I know this is what Jesus demonstrated for us. And I know this is the desire on my heart that these three statements would ring true of who I am. So this morning, rather than a closing song, we're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to open in prayer, and then we're going to take some time to just be still before the Lord and to go before Him with these three things. And be honest with God. He knows anyway. So the only person you're lying to is yourself. Father, we thank You for the Gospel. As Scripture tells us, Your Word remains forever. And this is the good news that we preach. Every piece of it. Because it all points to our beautiful, absolute need for You. So Father, remind us of our need for You. Remind us of our insufficiency apart from You. Remind us of the futility of life without You. And in that, God, take us into lives defined by you, shaped by you, submitted to you, offered to you, used for your glory. Wherever these men and women are, these children are, everyone listening here and online, God, would you speak to us in this time? Please, don't let us be distracted by the person next to us. Don't let us be distracted by what's on our to-do list for the rest of the day. If nothing else today, God, please... Please, Lord, I beg you, give these people just a few moments of silence before you. To hear you, to know you, so that we may be used by you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and continue to pray.